Hey guys. It's a joy to be opening up John 21 and finishing off our series in John's Gospel. Please keep that chapter open and your outline as well so that you can see where we're going. Uh, just before um, we get into the passage, I'll just let you know, so we're finishing John's Gospel this week and then next week we're starting a new couple-week series uh, that Phil is going to be taking us through. Uh, thinking about uh, understanding life and understanding things from a Christian worldview. Our world so often says things that aren't Christian to us and tries to get us to believe messages uh, and to believe things that just aren't true or aren't helpful. And so we need to have God's Word shape our hearts and minds and to have God's mind on lots and lots of different things. And so Phil's going to be talking to us about that uh, and we'll hopefully have some really interesting uh, times and discussions and question times in light of that. So look forward to that. Let's pause and pray. Our gracious Father, we thank and praise you again for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for John's eyewitness testimony to his life and death and resurrection. We pray now that you would help us to read John's words and to see them as your words. To see Jesus and see him as our Lord. Lord, please grow our faith in him and help us to be strengthened to serve and live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever stop and think about your future? Do you ever daydream or perhaps even worry about what your future might hold for you? I'm seeing a few nods. That's probably a very normal thing. Do you ever think to yourself, will I, what, what job will I have when I finish studying? Or if you're already working, will I stay in this job forever? Is there an end in sight at any point? Uh, will I live in Sydney or will I move somewhere else? Will I get married or not? Will I have kids and how will they turn out? That's the scary one. Uh, will, I wonder if I will ever... You can fill in the blank. What are the things that you think about, dream about, imagine day by day about your future? And I wonder if you ever ask, what is God's plan for my life in all these things? Do you ever find yourself asking, why doesn't God tell me what my future holds? He knows, doesn't he? Why doesn't God show us what lies us before us in the winding path of life? Well, today in John's Gospel, Jesus actually does show something of Peter and John's future, the life before them. But do you remember last week I asked the question, well, why does John finish his Gospel in this obscure way with this chapter 21? I think the answer is that John wanted to show us the future of the disciples. That he wanted to show them, he wanted to show us what the disciples would go on to do, what they should do. Think about last week, we saw the disciples fishing and Jesus appeared to them, showing them he was risen, but then he provided a miraculous catch of fish to remind them, don't be fishers of fish, be fishers of men. Your future disciples is to go out and to proclaim that I am risen and see the nets of God's kingdom filled with people who believe and have life in my name. Now we have the second half of this obscure chapter. It's the same morning, it's the same meal, it's on the same beach, and Jesus turns and focuses in on Peter and his future. Why does he do that? Well, because Peter's future was hanging in the balance a little. There was an elephant in the room, or an elephant on the beach, that had not yet been addressed, and it was Peter's three denials. 
three times. When Jesus was arrested and tried, three times Peter denied that he was a disciple of Jesus. We saw it back in chapter 18. Jesus predicted it right back in chapter 13. Peter boldly claimed, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? A rooster will crow and you will have denied me three times. Jesus had predicted it and so it was. Before the morning light came, just hours later, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. So now, how can Peter go on as a disciple? How can he be an apostle, a leader in the church, a gospel preacher, a witness to Jesus' resurrection, if his integrity has been compromised? This is what Jesus addresses in this passage. He focuses in on Peter. Come with me, let's think about the future of Peter. Let's start at verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You can imagine the the joyful yet awkward tone at breakfast that morning. Jesus, their risen Lord, sits before them. Who knows if they sat in silent shock or if they started to have a conversation. At least Peter starts to address, Jesus starts to address Peter after breakfast. But did you notice Jesus doesn't call him Peter? What does he call him? Simon, son of John. Jesus hasn't used this name for Peter since way back in John chapter 1, the first time that he met Peter and said, Simon, your new name is Peter. The first time he called him and said, follow me. It's as if Jesus is recalling that time and staying afresh again. Peter, do you believe? Peter, do you want to follow me? But the question Jesus actually asks is, look at verse 15, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, does Jesus mean love him more than the other disciples or love him more than the fish that are just before them? I'm not sure. But whatever he means, he's asking Peter, do you love me more than anyone and anything else? Are you devoted to me above all? Jesus calls his disciples to love him above all else. Being a Christian is not simply saying you believe in Jesus, and it's not even just loving him like you love your hobbies, or you love your job, or your possessions, or even your family. No, loving him is loving him above all else. Being a Christian is counting everything as worthless compared to knowing him. This is especially for leaders of God's people like Peter. For Peter, it was the opposite of love when he denied knowing Jesus. Now Jesus gives Peter the chance to express his love, to reaffirm his love for his Lord. So what's Peter's response? It's positive, of course. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You can almost hear a bit of worry in his voice, can't you? Why do you have to ask, Jesus? Of course I love you. And so Jesus responds by giving Peter a job. Did you see it? End of verse 15. Feed my lambs, Jesus says. Jesus moves on from the image of fishing that we saw last week. Now we're in the open field. We're in the sheep paddock. And he says, if you love me, Peter, I have a job for you. You see these sheep, I want you to feed them. 
Now, right back in John chapter 10, Jesus had already used this image of a shepherd and sheep to talk about him and his followers. He said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, his people. He said, my sheep, my people, hear my voice and they follow me to green pastures. It's an image of salvation. But here, Jesus gives a role, a commission to Peter and says, you will feed my sheep. You will be a pastor, a teacher. Jesus is returning to his Father in heaven and so he appoints under-shepherds. Jesus is the one true shepherd still, but he appoints under-shepherds that remain here to to shepherd God's people, to feed his sheep, to bring his word to them so that they might be well fed. So here, Jesus is appointing Peter to that role. Peter is to feed Jesus' limbs, to give them spiritual nourishment so that they can know who Jesus is and what he's done for them, so that they can know how to be saved and how to live for Jesus. So you see, this is Peter's future. Jesus is restoring and commissioning Peter for this ministry, gospel ministry, proclaiming Jesus and growing the church, feeding the sheep. But Jesus doesn't leave it there, does he? No, he repeats his question a second time. Look at verse 16. Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's almost exactly the same. And Peter replies exactly as before, but perhaps he's a bit more worried this time. What do you think is going through his mind at this point? Why did he ask me again? Why does he want to embarrass me? Was he not happy with my answer before? The tension grows on the beach. And this time Jesus responds with the same idea in slightly different words. Verse 16 at the end, shepherd my sheep, Peter. Peter, I want you to feed and care for my sheep. That is your future. But the tension on the beach grows again because Jesus has the nerve to ask Peter one more time, a third time, do you love me? You know the little kid who just kind of asks their parent the same question over and over again, even though they know the answer, and it's the same answer every time. You know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. Can I have a lolly? Can I have a lolly? Can I have a lolly? No. Doesn't it feel a little bit like that with Jesus here? He just keeps asking the same question. Look at the end of verse 17. Sorry, just verse 17. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Exactly the same. Look at Peter's response this time. Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time. This time, Peter's desperation is clear, isn't it? Why do you ask me again, Jesus? Jesus, you're the Lord of all. You know everything there is to know. Of course you know that I love you. Why do you doubt me? Why do you ask these three times? So why does Jesus ask Peter these three times, do you love me? Perhaps what Peter didn't realize, maybe he did later, is this. That just as Peter denied his Lord three times, Jesus wants Peter to affirm his love for him three times. Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to repent, to replace those three denials with three expressions of his love for Jesus. Jesus is not trying to embarrass or doubt Peter. No, Jesus is offering him grace. Peter's denials, they were a terrible thing. He didn't deserve to be a disciple anymore. He didn't deserve to be an apostle. But Jesus says, I'm inviting you back, Peter. 
I'm restoring you to fellowship with me and to your position as a shepherd of the sheep, as an apostle who will go out and fish for men, to mix the metaphors again, who will go out and preach the gospel so that God's kingdom will grow. Yes, you denied me, Peter, but now I restore you. Jesus wants to make it unambiguously clear that Peter is restored, that he is an apostle through and through, a commissioned and sent servant who speaks with Jesus' authority. Which means that we need to listen to the apostle Peter, doesn't it? It could have been tempting back then and even today to write off Peter and say, he denied Jesus three times. He blatantly said, I don't know him. But here, Jesus doesn't let us do that. This is why John includes this story. He wants us to know Jesus, sorry, Peter was fully restored. Jesus fully forgave him. He was a shepherd of the sheep. It means we must pay attention to what, Jesus, to what Peter says about Jesus and the Christian life. His sermons in the book of Acts, his letters 1 and 2 Peter, we need to let them shape our understanding of who Jesus is, of what he did. We need those words, we need to believe them. We need them to shape how we live. Jesus restored and commissioned him, Peter, to feed and shepherd God's people, us included, through his scriptures. But I also think that Jesus did this, and John wrote it for us to teach us something about God. To teach us that Jesus graciously restores those who fall. That we can take comfort that Jesus forgave a sinner who said, I don't even know Jesus. Who restored Peter, though he had sinned greatly. Jesus forgives those who come in repentance and faith to him. His blood covers all their sin, including the sin of denying him. That doesn't mean we take his grace for granted. But it does mean that we are thankful for his forgiveness and his mercy, and we strive then to live in light of that mercy. But back to the story. Jesus says more about Peter's future. Look at the last few verses of this section, verse 18. Things take a darker turn. Jesus says, I assure you, Peter, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, someone else will tie you. And carry you where you don't want to go. They're cryptic words, aren't they? What do they mean? John helps us understand them in verse 19. Jesus said this to signify by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, Peter, for now, for now, you dress yourself. You take yourself wherever you want to go. You make decisions about your life. But this is your future. A time is coming when you will be tied up and taken against your will. A time is coming where you will be arrested and led to your execution. This is the kind of death you will die. This is your future. This is what it will mean for you to shepherd my sheep, to preach the gospel. One day you will be killed for it. The world hated me, Jesus says, and killed me. They're going to do the same to you, Peter. But Peter's death, John says, did you see, will glorify God. 
when Jesus' people face persecution and even death and they stand firm, God is glorified. That's what the Christian life is all about, isn't it? That's what life and death is all about. Giving God the glory, not us. Giving God the glory and honor and worship and praise that he deserves for all his goodness and his holiness. What does the Apostle Paul say? I read it with someone this week in Philippians. He says, My eager expectation and hope is that whether by life or by death, Christ will be honored highly in my body. And so Peter's future, along with most of the other apostles, was to die for Jesus and give God glory. Church tradition, it's not in the Bible, it's in other early Christian writings. Church tradition says that this is exactly what happened to Peter. That he was crucified by Emperor Nero in Rome. And that he, was, and that he re- actually requested to be crucified upside down. Because he didn't want to die in the same way as his Lord. He was not worthy, he said. The world hates Jesus' followers. But God is glorified in and through them. And they are faithful. And it seems that Peter, he actually understood what Jesus was saying here. Come back to the story. We're just going to look at the next shorter parts of the passage together. Have a look there from verse 20. We hear about the future of John now. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. That's John. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Peter says, Jesus, if that's my future, what about him? And he points to John. Jesus, how is he going to die? Look at verse 22. I love this. Jesus says a little bit of a rebuke to Peter. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Peter, why do you care, Jesus says? I want you to focus on following me, on loving me, on feeding my sheep. Don't get caught up in the future of some other man. It's up to me how John will live or die. No, you follow me. So what's John's future in all of this? Jesus doesn't actually say, does he? It seems that, though, verse 23, that the very early Christians took what Jesus said here and said, Aha, John, he's not going to die. He's going to remain until Jesus returns. But John, he wants to put an end to that unhelpful rumor. And so he says, look at um, the end of... The second half of verse 23, yet Jesus did not tell John that he would not die, but if, if is an important word, isn't it? If I want him, John, to remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? See, Jesus was just posing a hypothetical question to Peter. What would that matter to you if that was true, John? But he was not actually saying this is what will happen to him. So what's John's future? We don't know. He doesn't know at this point. We're not told. Except for the hope of Jesus' return and the hope of eternal life, which is what really matters, John doesn't know whether he will live a long or a short life, whether he will die because he's following Jesus or for some other reason. He doesn't know. For whatever reason, Jesus decides to tell Peter that he will be martyred. But he tells John nothing. And you know what the funny thing is? is that despite Jesus saying what he says here, it seems that John ended up, ended up outliving all the other disciples. Though not for 2,000 years until now, obviously. 
church tradition, again, not in the Bible, says that John was arrested and that they tried to execute him by dropping him into a pot of boiling oil, but that he was unharmed, miraculously. He would not die. And so they exiled him to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. And it seems he lived there until sometime in the 90s AD, a very long time. But Jesus doesn't tell any of that to John, does he? He tells Peter, yes, you'll be martyred, but he doesn't actually say when or how. So often we are concerned with all those details of our life and our future, aren't we? Working out if it's God's plan for me to take this job or that job, uh, to move here or there, whether or not I'll get married, whether or not I'll have enough money or not, when will I die? What will happen? But those are not the future concerns Jesus is concerned about. No, instead, he tells us the future that really matters. He tells us the end, that he will return to save and judge. He tells us that he will bring his people to a new creation where peace and righteousness will dwell. He tells us that his wrath and hell awaits those who don't believe in him. And he tells us to live in light of those truths. To make decisions based on eternity, not to try and figure out what is God's plan for this or that to happen in this momentary life. The question is not so much, what is God's plan for my life, as much as it is, how does God want me to live here and now? How do I live in light of eternity? What, what decisions will honor God and forward His kingdom? Those are the questions Jesus encourages us to ask. Look again at verse 22. He kind of says this in effect to Peter. Jesus says, if I want John to remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? As for you, follow me. Jesus says, don't worry about John. Don't worry about the future. Those questions matter little compared to this, that you follow me. The same goes for us. What matters is that we follow Jesus that we believe in Him, that we live for Him, listen to Him, love Him, follow His example and grow more and more like Him and persevere. Not that we know all the details of our earthly life. And we see that this is what John is also concerned about. Look at the last few verses with me, John's close. In verse 24, John's testimony is confirmed by some other people. Did you see it there? We know that, that his, John's, testimony is true. See, it's plural there. And we don't know who these people are, but we can only guess that they were faithful believers who knew John and knew John was telling the truth. But then, verse 25, John adds his final words. He says, Jesus did many other things, so many things that if all of them were written down, all the books couldn't, couldn't fit in the whole world. <laughs> it's an intriguing ending, isn't it? Does he mean it literally, or is it hyperbole, exaggeration? It leaves you wanting to know more, doesn't it? And I wonder, and I hope, I pray, that when Jesus returns, we will get to hear more of what he said and did when he walked our earth. I hope so. But I think the point of what John and his friends are saying here at the end is clear. John has written an eyewitness account of Jesus. His testimony is trustworthy. We don't have everything Jesus said or did, we have enough. We have what we need to believe in Jesus and have life in his name, to follow him. 
the same with the future, isn't it, when you think about it? We don't know everything. There is so much that God chooses not to reveal to us. But he tells us enough. And what he reveals about our glorious future as God's people is so wonderful that it should make us say, oh well, I want to bow down and worship you. I want to cry out, my Lord and my God, I want to live for him and follow him and I want to pray, come Lord Jesus. Well, that's the end of John's gospel. And I think it would be wrong for us now to, to not stop and reflect on that very fact of why John wrote. John wrote so that we might believe and have life. We saw that a few weeks ago. That we might see who Jesus is, what he is like, what he said and did, and believe in him. To believe it all to be true. And to entrust ourselves to him personally, calling on his name and asking for the grace and forgiveness that he has wonderfully secured and promised through his death and resurrection. And so it's right that we, each one of us here, asks what John wants us to ask at the end of his gospel. Do I believe? Do I have life in Jesus' name? Do I know ultimately what my future holds Because I know Jesus died and rose for me. And I know that he is coming to judge and to save. Have I received and accepted Jesus for who he is? The Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh, come to dwell with us. Everything that John tells us that he is. If you do believe, praise God. Praise God that he has been at work through his word, through John's words. To help you to see Jesus and believe in him. Praise God that through that belief, you have life in Jesus' name. Eternal life with him. You are born again. Saved by grace through faith. But if you don't believe and you're here tonight. If you're still working these things out or if you refuse to believe. Then the evidence is before you. The evidence of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The evidence of his glory and his love and his goodness. It is all here in the pages of John's gospel. His trustworthy testimony. And so if you remain unsure, go back and read it again. If you remain unconvinced, go back and read it again. If you remain ambivalent, please, I plead with you, go back and read it again. Read John's gospel from beginning to end. Because he tells us who Jesus is and what he has done. And we know from God's word that the future is clear. That Jesus will return to save and judge. But John wrote, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so by believing, have life in his name. That life, that eternal life, that life to the full, is for all who believe. It's what Jesus lived and died and rose again for. And it's what John wrote for us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we are again so thankful for the Apostle John. That you called him through the Lord Jesus to be one of your children. And that by your spirit you worked in him to recount everything that he knew and saw about the Lord Jesus everything that we needed to know 
so that we might have life by believing in him. Father, we praise and thank you for that wonderful gift of eternal life simply by believing in the good news of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And Father, we pray that you would help us to take great joy in that wonder and that news and that you would help us to then proclaim it to our world so that your kingdom is full in the end of people who have heard and who have believed and who have life in Jesus' name. We pray in his name. Amen.